and I'm going to get ready to open the word of the Lord today. I'm going to turn your attention to Daniel chapter 1 today, and we're starting a new sermon series on the book of Daniel, and I had wrestled a little bit with where I was going next in the scripture. We just finished that seven-part series on marks of a disciple, and then we had a guest speaker with us last week, and so I was praying and seeking the Lord about where I should go next, and I thought I had an idea, and then felt like the Lord changed that, and so I'm going to preach, endeavor to preach through the book of Daniel, and Daniel has 12 chapters. I don't know that I will do one sermon per chapter. Today I'm going to preach on chapter 1, and I'll cover the whole chapter today. Uh, may not read it all, but I will cover the whole chapter. But So we may take 12 weeks. I may just pick and choose things as we go. I'll fill after the Lord. Or it may take us three years to get to the book of Daniel, depending on how uh, minor we get in there. But today I'm going to read, I'll read the first seven verses, and then I will let you be seated today. Daniel chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them in the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice, food and from the wine which he drank and he appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service now among them from the sons of judah were daniel hananiah mishael and azariah then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them and to daniel he assigned the name belshazzar to hananiah shadrach to mishael meshach and to azariah abednego so I'm going to preach for just a little while today on standing for righteousness, standing for righteousness. God bless you. You may be seated. It is a biblical truth and a practical reality that you reap what you sow. The Bible tells us that when you sow good things, you will reap good things. And when you sow bad things, you will, sow, you will reap bad things. And in fact, in most of life, this is generally true, is that when you do good, you get rewarded. When you do bad, you get punished. If you break the law and you get caught, you go to jail. If you follow the law and if you're a good citizen, then you get rewarded for that. And, and even in the sense of righteousness, the Bible lets us know that righteousness even has its own reward. That just doing good and, and just living for God will bring about a reward that God is not necessarily bringing to you. For instance, if you 
were to be an alcoholic and you were to spend a lot of your money and time drinking alcohol and you can't keep your job and so on and so forth, bad things happen because you're doing bad things. But by changing those habits and changing what you're doing, good things just sometimes happen. You're able to spend less money and you're not an alcoholic, so you're able to keep your job. And if you have a job, then you get more money and then you begin to, to go up in uh, economic influence and economic position. In fact, people have termed this, when, when people come to know Jesus Christ, they've termed this uh, redemptive lift. That when you're sinning and you're doing a lot of bad things, your life is usually not very good. But when you come to Jesus and you start following Him, then life usually gets better. However, it doesn't preclude us from having problems. It doesn't preclude us from having difficulties, even if our life does get better in certain social, social and economic ways. But there is coming a day when God will judge the world and He will judge all people. The Bible tells us that when the end of days or the end of this age comes, that God will judge people. However, this coming judgment is not necessarily right now. That God is not judging people for their lack of righteousness right now. For the most part, He is letting people do go their own way and He is letting things take its course. But there is coming a day when that will not be the case. And, and I would tell you that as I look around and I look at the times in which we're living, I think that we are closer than many people think to God, to Jesus Christ coming back and taking his church out of the world. I, I think when we look around us at the turmoil and we look at Bible prophecy and we see all that is going on in our world, we are closer to Jesus Christ coming back than many people think. And, and this passage and this message really and and even this series is not going to be all about the end time. And it's not all going to be about Bible prophecy. But there will be a significant piece of what we talk about that relates to Bible prophecy as we go through it. As we go through the book of Daniel. Because Daniel is one of the foremost books that talk about the end time. And talks about the rapture of the church. And talks about Jesus Christ coming back. And talks about the Antichrist and what's going on in our world. And what is going on to happen but our, our text what we read today is the jews are the children of, of judah are in captivity they are taken into babylonian captivity this is not a new problem for them because as i mentioned god does judge people he, he does reward righteousness and he does judge iniquity and it has been the pattern of Israel that they would serve God for a period of time and then they would leave serving God and they would turn to idols and then when they would turn to idols after a period of time God would would get fed up with that and then he would send in a neighboring country to to punish them and take them captive and then after 20 or 30 or 40 years they would repent and God would raise up a judge or a king that would deliver them. And then they would come back to their own land and govern themselves. And then, after 20 or 30 or 40 years, they would do it again. And they would do this process. And In fact, when the kingdom is divided after Solomon passes on off the scene and 
his son becomes king and decides he wants to be dictator. And the kingdom is split. That ten of the tribes of Israel go their own way and they set up the, the nation of Israel and the remaining two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, set up the nation of Judah. And they frequently, they would fight against each other, even though they're related, even though they're family, they would fight against each other. And in Israel, the ten tribes never had a righteous king. And so they were always in this process of God coming in and judging them, and, and then he would... Re, He would redeem them out of captivity for a while, but never did Israel in all of the divided kingdom did they have a righteous king. But Judah, on the other hand, they had a righteous king that would come every once in a while, a king that would follow God, a king that would follow God's law. And in fact, some 130 years before the story that I just read to you, the nation of Israel ceased to exist Because the Assyrians came in and they conquered Israel and they took them out of the land and then they brought other captives from other nations that the Assyrians had conquered and they brought them into the land of Israel, thus polluting the bloodlines of Israel. And I'll I'll just throw this in, in for you. When you get to the New Testament, you see the word Samaria. You see it all the time, or Samaritans. That Samaritans, or Samaria, was the capital of the nation of Israel during the divided kingdom. And so when the Assyrians brought in other nations, those other nations would intermarry with the Israelites that were there, thus making them less than 100% ethnically Jewish. And because of that, they didn't get along. That The, the, the 100% ethnically Jews didn't like the Samaritans because they were, they were now not pure in, in their, their viewpoint. They weren't pure in the way in which they worshiped God. They weren't pure in the way in which they, uh, their bloodlines. And so they were at odds with each other. That's why you see that in the New Testament. It comes from that divided kingdom. But here in roughly 586 B.C., Judah has reached the end of their rope with God. They have reached the end of God's God's looking the other way, and now God has brought judgment to them. And and from this passage of Scripture, what I want to do, and I'm going to try to endeavor to do this quickly, but I want to give you three truths about righteousness from Daniel chapter 1. Three truths about righteousness. The first is this, is that lack of righteousness leads to to divine judgment. God's patience had run out with Judah. He has decided that Judah should no longer be a sovereign nation, and so he raises up a king in Babylon to come in and to invade the nation of Judah. In fact, the Bible says this, that God calls him, he says, he is my king, Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to see in chapter 2, the text that people use a lot about God raising up kings and bringing down kings. That he, he puts the people in power that he wants and he takes the people out of power that he wants to. Daniel chapter 2 tells us that. Which means that in our election process that we had last year, a lot of times whenever your candidate gets elected, we're like, yeah, God puts in and raises up kings. And then when your candidate is defeated, it's like, And where is God in all of this? 
But the reality is God is in charge of everything. And whether it's your candidate or not, God raises up leaders and He takes down leaders. And the Bible says He, he raised up Nebuchadnezzar just to come and invade Judah. That's the implication that Babylon becomes a, a world power so that they would have the resources to come and take over and invade Judah and bring them into captivity. Judah has ceased to follow God. Judah has ceased to do what God has called them to do as a nation. And God has called them to do individually as people. And he sends in Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I want to pause here and let you know that not everything that bad happens to us is the judgment of God. So look at your neighbor and say, when something bad happens, it doesn't mean it's God's judgment. If If you have a flat tire... It's not necessarily God's judgment. It's not necessarily the devil. It's just that you need a new tire. Isn't that right, Terry? You just need a new tire. Your car breaks down. It's not necessarily because the devil's after you or God is judging you. Sometimes you just need a new car. You just need a new vehicle. So not all bad things are God's judgment. And the Bible tells us that good things happen to bad people and, and bad things happen to good people. It's just the way of life. It's just the way things are in a fallen world that you and I live in. And aren't you thankful, though, that one day we're not going to live in a fallen world, but we're going to live with Jesus Christ forever, where there is no sickness, no pain, no sorrow, no suffering. There's nothing but joy and peace. Aren't you thankful that you're going to get to go to heaven one day and live forever with Jesus Christ? But God does judge righteous, unrighteousness, and there is coming a day when He will judge all unrighteousness. It is a day which is in the future, but I'm thankful that today is not that day. Because that means that if today is not the day of judgment, that means that people still have time to get right with Jesus Christ. They still have time to become what God wants them to be. The second truth that I would tell you is this, is that righteousness doesn't exempt us from difficulty. Righteousness does not exempt us from difficulty. The last five verses that I read to you today says that these righteous young men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, these four young men who were godly, they were part of the royal court in Judah, that they are taken captive just like everybody else. That when Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he takes captive those in Judah, that those who are living righteous were not exempt from being taken captive. They are taken along with everybody else. and They didn't have any choice. They had not disobeyed God. They hadn't been sinning. They were following the law. And I would tell you that many people, they believe that if they serve God, all their problems will be over. If you're serving God today and you still have problems, raise your hand. So what I would tell you is that's not an accurate statement. That when you serve God, it doesn't exempt us from problems. It doesn't exempt us from difficulty. It doesn't exempt us from 
tribulation. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. It is a guarantee that you are going to have trouble. The apostles all endured persecution. All of them but John were killed for their faith. And John was only not killed, not from their lack of trying, but I guess God somehow protected him. Boiled in oil, left on the island of Patmos, a number of different ways in which they tried to kill him and he just wouldn't die. But it wasn't from lack of trying. The apostles all endured that, and I would tell you that Jesus Christ endured suffering in this world. And it is because of his suffering that you and I can have eternal life today. That because Jesus Christ went to the cross and died in your place and in my place, we can have eternal life. And I would also say that we are no better than our master. That if Jesus endured suffering, it is not going to exempt us from suffering. But as I mentioned, there is coming a day where there is no more suffering. It's just that that day is not yet. So the righteous endure persecution. The righteous endure suffering. The righteous endure tribulation. Hebrews chapter 11, one of the most powerful chapters in the Bible, referred to by many as the faith chapter or the hall of faith. As the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Spirit, writes a long list of Old Testament heroes who by faith did many miracles and, and, and had saw, saw many great things. Overcoming the mouth of the lions, talking about Daniel that we'll see later, and Samson and Jephthah and, and, and Moses who refusing to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, rather suffered affliction with the people of God. And on and on it lists out these great, Hebrew, or these great uh, heroes of the faith. But at the end of chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, the writer turns, and instead of people that were saved out of difficulty, he lists out a bunch of, Ways in which people died in difficulty. He says they were sown asunder. They were thrown to the mouths of lions. and They were persecuted. They were beaten. They had to go live in caves as they fled. And, but he said this, These all, having died in faith, received not the promise that you and I now have, which is the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. Without the infilling of the Spirit, they still suffered all of those things, but they died in faith, which means they're going to be saved, even though God didn't deliver them out of their trouble. That the righteous are going to not be exempt from difficulty. The righteous will not be exempt from tribulation. And I don't speak of this in terms of the end time. We'll talk about the end time later. I'm just talking about in general, that if you serve God that doesn't mean all of your problems are over. I sure wish it was. Many of you probably have a number of issues. We prayed for some people that were here, people that serve God and are righteous, but they still have bad backs and they still have other physical problems and still have difficulty. Serving God doesn't mean that we are exempt from all of that. But what it does mean is that God is with us through all of that. 
that even though we're going through some difficult times, we don't have to do it by ourselves, but we can have Jesus Christ with us in the middle of our storm. Can I get an amen? Thirdly, righteousness is rewarded by God. When Daniel... Let me back up and and paint the picture just a little bit. That what Nebuchadnezzar is doing is he is taking all of the best and the brightest from all of the various nations that they're conquering and he is bringing them in to make them part of his royal court. He's bringing them in to be advisors and and because they have various giftings, they have various things that they, they are good at that he brings them in, and so he's got a man that's in charge of taking the young men and training them to be Babylonians, training them to be like Nebuchadnezzar and all of his other other servants. And, And part of that process is Whining and dining them and educating them and teaching them in the the ways of the court of of Nebuchadnezzar. But Jews, they didn't eat like everybody else. They didn't eat pork and they didn't eat catfish and they didn't eat shrimp and they didn't eat crawfish. I think God's going to change that and all of that's going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be Cajun food at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm just confident. But they had a lot of things that they couldn't eat as part of their diet and, and things they couldn't drink as part of their diet. It's called kosher, and it's still, it's still around today. They still follow those guidelines. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, he's not following any such guidelines, and so they're serving pork and they're serving uh, other meats with, with the blood still in it. They didn't drain all the blood like we do now. All of these various things. And, and Daniel says... Even though I'm in captivity, even though God has allowed me to be taken into Babylon, I'm not going to defile myself with those things. I'm not going to eat that food and I'm not going to drink the wine that doesn't line up with how God wants us to be. He could have said, God, I don't deserve to be here, so I'm not serving you. I don't deserve to be in captivity. I've been serving you, and now look what you have allowed to happen to me. I'm in Babylon. I'm in captivity. He refused to make excuses to God, and he refused to blame God. It would have been easy to say, I don't deserve this. You let this happen to me, and so forget your law. Forget, Forget what you've called me to do, and forget what you've called me to be. But he refused to blame God. The book of Job tells us the story of Job. You may be familiar with it. Job, the Bible says, is a perfect man, upright in all of his ways. He serves God. He's doing everything that God wants him to do. He's upright in all of his ways. And Satan comes to God God asked him, what have you been doing? Well, I've been going to and fro, seeking whom I may devour, looking at all the people that aren't serving you, God, looking at all the people who aren't following you. And, and God says, you considered 
my servant Job. So if you're familiar with the story, God allows Satan to take all of his possessions. God allows Satan to then kill all of his family. God then allows Satan to afflict Job with boils, and he's sitting out in an ash heap with broken pottery, scraping the boils off of his skin. He's in such pain. His friends tell him he needs to forsake God and just admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you, you, uh, you are doing something wrong and God is punishing you. And His wife tells him the same thing. But where I'm going is just like Daniel who refused to blame God. Job said this, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That even if God did all kinds of bad things to me or, or allowed all kinds of bad things to happen, yet will I trust him. I'm going to still follow him. And in the middle of their captivity, God gives favor. The Bible says that with the man in charge, God gave Daniel and his friends favor, and they had compassion on them. And when Daniel said, I'm not going to, to eat this food, I'm not going to drink this wine, the man is, he's bothered. He's like, I'm going to get in trouble with the king if, if you guys are looking all wimpy and scrawny and looking unhealthy. And so Daniel puts them to the test. He said, for ten days let us eat only vegetables. And at the end of ten days, if we look really bad, we'll do what you want. But if we don't look bad, if we look healthy, then let us do this. And at the end of ten days, the Bible says that Daniel and his three friends looked better and looked healthier than all of the other captives that were there. It is this passage where we get what's called a Daniel fast, where people only eat vegetables as a sign of dedication to the Lord. This favor that God gives them in the middle of that allows them to not defile themselves, but to stand for righteousness. To stand for God's righteousness in the middle of difficulty, in the middle of captivity, they are standing for righteousness. After those ten days when they, they look good, the Bible says that for the next three years they do that same diet and they're done with their, their training period. And verse 17 says this, As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days which the king has specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's personal service. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who are in his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Not only did God give them favor, but he gave them a multitude of, of blessings. He gave them knowledge and intelligence. He gave Daniel the ability to understand dreams and visions. And they're ten times better than all of the others. 
in the program. Because you ought to understand that God always accomplishes His purpose. There's no question that there were other righteous people in Judah. They weren't in the king's palace. They probably, many of them probably even died as the captivity was taking place, as Babylon came in. That's why the Bible in Hebrews 11 refers to some people dying by the sword and they're they're sown asunder, they're they're persecuted. They had to flee and live in caves. But God spared Daniel and his three friends to accomplish his purpose. Part of that purpose is that we have the book that bears his name today. And in that book that bears his name, it's not just great stories of Daniel surviving the lion's den, although that's a great story. It's not just the the great story of his three friends surviving the fiery furnace. Oh, that's a great story. But we have prophecies about the Messiah. And we have prophecies about the end of the age and what Jesus Christ is going to do. We have prophecies that that give us insight about what's getting ready to come in the next few years here in our lifetime. That some 2,600 years ago, Daniel wrote about what's happening in our day. It was encouragement for God's people then. That he writes... What he writes is that even in the middle of captivity, it doesn't have to be all bad, but but that God can be with you and God can accomplish His purpose. And it is encouragement for you and I today that if we stand for righteousness, it doesn't have to be all bad, but God can use us today. That God can be at work in us today. And when we get to Daniel chapter 11, what we're going to see is when, when Daniel writes about the end time, He says, but they who do know their God will be strong and will do exploits. And they who understand will instruct many. That when we get 2,600 years from when Daniel's writing and telling us about what's going to happen in our day, he's talking about those of us that are here today, that we can be strong if we know our God, that we can do exploits. And it's not that we're going to take the sword, it's not that we're going to have weapons, but we can see the Spirit of God and the power of God working through us in miracles, signs, and wonders. And that we can have the, the awesome responsibility and the joy to tell other people about Jesus and instruct them about what's coming and how they can avoid God's judgment by getting into His kingdom. God is calling you and I to stand for righteousness in these troubling times. Lack of righteousness does lead to divine judgment. Righteousness doesn't exclude us from difficulty. Righteousness is rewarded by God. 
So the question before us today is this. Will we stand for righteousness when we face trouble? When we go through difficult times, will we stand for righteousness? The reality is, though, that you can't stand for righteousness unless you belong to Jesus Christ. You can't, you can't stand for righteousness unless you belong to Him. So how, how do you belong to Him? How do you get into relationship with Him? But Jesus tells us that if we're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, we have to be born again or born from above. So, the Bible tells us that the way in which that happens and the way in which that should come about is that we repent. We make a decision that we're going to turn from our sin. We're going to turn from our way. And we commit to following Jesus Christ. We make the decision that we're going to do what He wants us to do. Forsaking our sin. And the Bible tells us that, that we need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And we're getting ready to baptize Clinton here in just a little bit. And that when we do that, our sins are washed away. That our sins are taken away. And then we can be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit evidence and speaking in other tongues. So I would encourage you today, if you haven't done all of that, if you haven't committed your life to following Jesus, if you haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus, if you haven't been filled with the Spirit of Jesus, today's a good day for that to happen. You can experience that today. And if you have experienced all of that, then God is calling us to stand for righteousness. When bad things happen and difficulties come our way, stand for righteousness. When bad things happen at school and people make fun of you at school, stand for righteousness. When things aren't going well on the job, stand for righteousness. When things aren't going well with your health, stand for righteousness. When things aren't going well in our culture, in our society, stand for righteousness. It is what God has called us to do. It's what God has called us to be. And would you stand your feet right now my call to action is simply this don't be caught by surprise if bad things happen in your life don't feel like God has abandoned you don't feel like he's not really there just because something bad happens it will happen 
But even if it happens, pray and expect God's favor. Pray for and expect God's blessing. Determined to stand for righteousness regardless of the circumstances. Would you bow your heads right now? Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us. You have made us your own. You have made us your children. I thank you, Lord, that you have empowered us that even in the middle of difficult times that we can stand for righteousness today. That you're not just calling us to do something that we can't do, but you empower us and enable us to stand for righteousness. God, we ask you for your blessing and your favor. We ask you for strength to do that. We ask you for strength, Lord, to be everything you've called us to be. We thank you, Jesus. We give you praise and glory, Lord.